And I hope you enjoyed that. I appreciate all of our musicians, the time and effort that they put in to prepare music to, for, to prepare our hearts uh, for the Word of God. Open your Bibles, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians. We're continuing our series and clearing up the confusion. Find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this night that you've given us time for our church family to come together. I ask you to open our hearts. I ask you to speak through me, dear Heavenly Father, and uh, help me to say the words you'd have me to say. And uh, be with us, uh, those that were here this morning as well, that we might apply that message. Continue to grow our families to help us to be the leaders you'd have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're trying to get in the back a little bit earlier tonight, kids, so uh, we're not doing the kid time, but I do still have the snack down here. You guys can get that after the service, all right? So don't worry about that. She really wanted that. That's, that's all right. We'll get it. If you remember back last week, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul was showing the Corinthians, this is this church he had been at for 18 months prior, and he... Uh, he saw the folks saved, he discipled them during that time, and then as he's left, they've become, um, well, they're not living up to their potential, let's just put it that way. And they were, the reason why is they had decided, as we looked last week, they were, they were using the world's wisdom. They were using man's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. The wisdom of the natural man is the term used there. The, this is the, the wisdom of an unsaved person. Versus the wisdom that is given to us by God. The spiritual man, the saved man uses that wisdom. Now we get to chapter 3. And Paul continues this line of thought. And now he is speaking to the wayward church or the wayward Christian. Warning them that, okay, you didn't have, you weren't, uh, I warned you not to use man's wisdom. But now I also need you to mature in your faith. I need you to grow in that and, there, and what the results are when we don't mature in our faith. We all know folks, we've all had times maybe in our life where we just decided I'm not going to grow. And we wouldn't say that, but our actions show that. So Paul uses in this chapter, he uses three analogies to make this point that we can learn from tonight. All right, so let's read the first one. The first one is the analogy of children. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. So you still can't do it. You still can't take this in. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while, I, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? So he's calling them, he keeps calling them carnal, or he calls them babes, children, a child. He calls them this over and over through these four verses. Now, what is a carnal Christian? What is that term? Well, a carnal Christian is still a Christian, is someone that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they haven't grown in their faith. 
They haven't decided to stay away from the things of the world, and they still desire those things. They prefer the things of the world versus the things of God growing in their faith. They're like a person, when you think about this, they're like a person without a land. Because as a Christian, we've now, we're dead to the world. So we don't belong in this world, but yet we've denied growing in Christ. So we're sort of in limbo. A carnal Christian is one trying to live in the world in a place that they don't belong anymore, and there's nothing, there, there's no way for them to finally grow in their maturity. We're, we're doing it on our own without the protection of God. When you decide as a Christian, I, nah, I don't want to grow, and you, you push off everything of God, you're really going it out, out on your own. This reminds me of um, the Israelites. If you remember uh, when they finally make it into the promised land, uh, that Moses had made three of the tribes promise something. The tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they loved it on the east side of the Jordan River. It was well-watered land, and they had, they had a lot of uh, uh, livestock that, they, that it was good for them. And they said, oh, we like this better than um, possibly where we're going. They didn't even know what the promised land was, but they decided that they wanted that. And Moses said, okay. He says, but you have to go with us into the promised land to fight with your brothers, to fight with the other tri tribes. And they said, sure enough. Well, Moses passes away, and, and we have Joshua come into, into play now. And he says, okay, you got to hold up your promise. And they say, fine. And they leave their family in these little walled cities, and they go off to fight, leaving them there. And when all that was done, they said, okay, we're going to go back. And they crossed out of the promised land into this land that's just sort of out there. It's in the world, but they're not from that world. They're outside of the protection of God. They're outside of the group of people they should be with. They're not with their church family growing and being edified and using their talents to help others. And that's what a person that is a carnal Christian does in their life. They're out there. They're just lingering around. And you might be there today. Most probably aren't here on, on a Sunday night. That would be odd, but there might be some people that in your life right now, you would, be, you would consider yourself a carnal Christian, outside of the protection, outside of his people, outside of the church, outside of the guidance of God. This is the opposite of what God would have us to be. God wants us to be maturing. We never reach a pinnacle. We never reach that point where we're just like Christ, but it is ever-growing, and that's how God would have us to be. A Christian where the, the Spirit teaches and directs them as they feed on the Word of God. Meat, not on this milk. Verse 2, Paul attempted to mature them, but you can't force... You see, he wanted to. He wanted to give them meat, but you can't force feed them, right? I, I can't force you to learn the Word of God. I can't force you to apply the principles of the Word of God. The, the same comparison of a child or a baby, not ready for anything but their milk. Ask yourself, am I maturing in my faith? Look back a year. Look back six months. How long have you been a Christian? I don't know. Look back 10 years. Am I maturing in my faith? Well, 
one of the first questions would be, do I have a desire to grow? Do I even have a desire to grow in my faith? Some of us, if we were honest, would say, you know, lately, no, I've been distracted in other things, and I've, I've not really even had that desire. Well, you're feasting on milk versus the, the meat that God has for you. Ask yourself this as well. What is your diet? That'll help you know. What is your diet as a Christian? Our granddaughter, when she started off, she drank milk. Then she made it to mush, right? You'll see in the little pouches. Man, I wish I had those when my kids were that age, right? Just give a kid a pouch and away you go. And now she's eating food, pizza, good stuff, chicken nuggets, things like that. We go from milk to the harder, the easier, the harder things to eat, the, the, the steak and the, the meat and those types of things. But milk are those basic things of the faith, the facts, the basic commands of the Word of God. That maybe even people that aren't Christians even know those, those bits of information. Meat includes learning doctrine of the Word of God. That's a big fancy word for the, the tenets that God has for us in our life. Things that require us maybe to live by faith. That would be meat. I've got to think about this. I've, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to follow God in this? That's meat. That's living by faith. Decisions where when we decide to do it, it will require me to control my liberties. Yes, I have the liberty to do this, but I choose to control that liberty for the sake of someone else's learning or for the sake of someone else hearing the gospel or whatever it might be. Those are, that's meat. That's maturing in your faith. These are found when our diet is in the Word of God. See, we move from facts to truths of the Word of God as we go from milk to meat. We move from Bible stories to Bible doctrines and how they apply in our life. Those are good things. It shows growth. Would we not find it odd if our child was six years old, seven years old, and still only drinking milk? Same thing with us as Christians. We should be growing. I love this quote from Wearsby. He says, Paul did not write Romans, for example, to tell the Romans how to be saved for they were already saints. He wrote to explain to them what was really involved in their salvation. It was an explanation of the deep things of God and how they apply to daily life. That's someone that is taking meat, someone that is growing in their faith. Verses 3 and 4, he goes on to show more of their lack of maturity. If I were to stick two or three kids in a room and I would put one toy there. <laughs> what happens? It's a battle. Man, the, the game is on, right? Who's going to win? Who's going to get that toy? Very few kids are going to, oh, yes, you share. I'll take this time and you take. No, that's not how kids work, all right? They're going to fight. They're going to pull hair. They're going to push each other over, all those types of things. And when we're not maturing in our faith, we see the same thing. What's he say there? 
You're carnal. You, there's envying. There's strife. There's divisions. Why? They're carnal. They're walking as men. They're walking as children. Verse 4, he talks about how one's Apollos and, and one's Paul. What do kids do? They, they pick heroes. Yeah, I, I love Paul. He, he's, the, he's, the best, uh, he's the best wide receiver on the team. I like this because they're, they're the best singer, and I have these heroes, and they're better than your, you know, my dad's better than your dad, and on and on it goes, and that's what's going on here. They were picking teams just as, as kids. As we look at this in our own life, are, do you find yourself always upset or always fighting? Ask yourself, am I maturing in my faith? Why am I always in this situation? Was it something that was worth being upset about? Most of the time, no. Are you picking sides out of preferences? That shows a lack of growing in our faith. Friendship leaders and teachers and the preachers and parents that are here, we need to be in the business of discipleship. We need to be teaching them God's word. We, need, we want to let each member realize their need to use their spiritual gifts to be building up this church, to be maturing each other. Because everybody's on a different spot in their, in their walk with the Lord. And we need to use those gifts to build up the family of God to be what it needs to be. As your pastor, I'm responsible to patiently and consistently feed you with the Word of God, even when it's something that maybe is uncomfortable to hear, so that we are mature in the Word of God. It's uncomfortable for many times for me just to, to speak it. Maybe not even for you to hear it, but for me to speak it. But yet, God instructs us to do, to do that and for me to do that. So if you want to mature, go to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to mature you. He will illuminate the Word of God for you. He will uh, convict you when you need convicted. He'll heal you when you need healed. And we see this comparison of a child. The second comparison we see is of a farmer or a laborer in the field. Verses 5 through 9, we see, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers, by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? Who did? The Lord did. I have planted, Apollos watered. But who? God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God gave, that gaveth the increase. That's three times he's now said that. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. So the second analogy he has here is workers in the field, or we can call them farmers. In verses 5 and 6, the carnal Christian is busy at uh, who did what and who gets the credit for this or for that. Always worried about, am I going to receive my just due for, for what I did? The spiritual Christian sees that they're being given a role by God. And they're working together with those around them. It says, the Lord gave to every man. He gave you that ability. He gave you that opportunity. God has decided to use you in his service. The creator of the world has chosen you to do something in his service. Amen. That's pretty awesome. We don't always need credit for that. 
Later he says, but God gave the increase. It is God that chooses to bless. Not one person over another. He is choosing to bless the work that he has designated for us to do. Now, one thing else to note with that is that it took all of those people in their roles to accomplish whatever was accomplished. So we needed this person here. We needed this person here and this one here and this one here. Everyone is needed in that. So when we think of that, that why are we to, we're to rely on each other in ministry and in life and not squabble over who's getting credit Who's getting the counts on this or that? This is what God has given us. Christianity is not a competition. Um, Not within your ministry, not within uh, the church, and not within other churches. Now that's hard. Let's just be honest, that's hard. Uh, we'll go to meetings and you'll, you'll hear about how a church is, is being blessed. And it seems like uh, they're just seeing you know, hundreds of folks come to know Christ or, or this or that. And you read these books and uh, if a person sees great success in the world's eyes, the next thing we know they're writing a book and they're out on tour. I mean, it just seems to be we've commercialized our Christianity in America. I'm not in competition with them. We are, we are in the same goal here of seeing folks come to know Christ as their Savior and growing in that. You're going to plow, and this first person plows, and they soften the heart of that person. The next person comes along, and they, they speak, and they plant the seed. The next person comes along, and they water on that seed, and it starts to grow. There's a little bit of growth there, and eventually someone reaps Someone comes to Christ as their Savior. You know what? Every one of those people were important in that. It took each and every person in that step. Everyone had a hand of that person coming to know Christ or that Christian maturing in their faith. Our goal is the same. That means we need to have the same spirit, the same unity in that. Tonight, we might see something exactly like this. Uh, There is a perfect example, and anyone that watches any amount of football has had this feeling in their mind. Uh, Chase is going to get a a 50-yard reception, and he's going to get tackled on the two-yard line. He didn't get the touchdown. Then they bring Mixon in, and he's going to punch that thing in for a touchdown. How do you think Chase feels in that? There's two feelings he might have. One, why does he get to get the touchdown? Or second is, we as a team have come together and we have crossed the, we have crossed the goal line. We have scored. It's not much different when it comes to reaching folks for Christ. All of those people were needed in that, right? Now, yes, it's an okay, I think it's an okay feeling. Going, Man, I really wish I got to, got to lead that person to the Lord. Because there's nothing like leading a person to the Lord. Uh, but we are all part of that. Our, from our Sunday school to our Awana to our Upward to our adult classes, everyone has a, goal, a, a step in that. Our children's church people that, that share with them, you name it. Everyone has a role in that. Are we going to be jealous or are we going to be happy that this person is growing and that they've come to know Christ as their Savior? It's silly really to be jealous. Because it tells us there in verses 6 and 7 that God is the one that blesses. 
And God is the one that gave the increase. I didn't. Nothing I can do to save someone. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to save someone. God can use you to share, but Christ brings the increase there. Now, there's one caveat to that. In verse 8, Paul points out in this, in this sharing, Paul points out that in all this working together, we still need to do our part. Why? There is a reward. There is a reward that you will receive for that labor. It doesn't save you. You're already a Christian. These are rewards in heaven that the Lord will give us. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few more verses. But there are rewards. We do not need to be, we should not be lazy Christians. And may we strive to work together to cultivate the fruit that we want to see in the lives of those around us. It doesn't matter if it's a kid, a teenager, or an adult. We, we, we need to see fruit growing in their lives. So we should not be idle. We should not be lazy. We should not be careless in our ministry. Let things be done here at Friendship Baptist Church in excellence, worthy of our King in whom we serve. Genuine gospel ministry will produce fruit, though. Genuine gospel ministry will produce fruit. That will be either the addition of souls, coming to, people that come to know Christ as their Savior, or people that we see growing and maturing in their faith. If we are not seeing that, it is not genuine fruit. And we, we are not doing what the Lord would have us to do. But He brings that increase. And the best part of serving is, look at verse 9 there. We're not doing it alone. This is a cool verse. This is one, I've got, I've got this underlined. And I've got the word with circled. Because it says there that for we are, not, we are laborers together with who? God. We are, we are working with someone that is much greater than us. We are laboring with God. Now, yes, we labor for God, but we get to labor with God. How cool is that? Why would he do that? But yet he does. Now, that's a team member that is never going to let you down. Just not. We're going to get tired. We're going to get sick. We're going to forget. We're, not, we're, we're going to mess up. All of us. God doesn't. And we're laboring with him. All right, the third analogy. The third analogy uh, that we make in our maturity is that of a building. That of a building. Starting in the, we'll read verse 9 again. For we, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto men as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For our foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what is our foundation? Say it with me. Jesus Christ. That's our foundation. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest shall be shown. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, with, abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Once again, we're reading that about the reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." 
Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. The temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. We've heard this before. For it is written, he, that, he, he taketh the wise in, his own, in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. There, therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours." Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. All right. We have a very similar situation here to one of Jesus' um, parables. We remember the parable of the, the person that built their house upon the rock versus building their house upon the seashore. This one's a little bit different. This one, the foundation is already set because we're Christians, all right? That one is comparing a person that put their, put their trust in Christ, that's on the rock, versus a person that put their trust in the world and it sank because the world is lost. This is a person that has the same foundation. So the foundation is laid, but now what are we building on that foundation? And that's what he's speaking about here. He says, ye are God's building, in verse 9, the last part of that. Now, I think that ye is speaking to us both as individuals and us as a church. So it's both singular and plural there. That's my opinion. Verses 10 and 11, we all start with this foundation of Christ. Because go back to the comparison that he was making in earlier chapters. Their foundation wasn't Paul. It wasn't Apollos. It wasn't Cephas. It wasn't Bob the Builder. All right? It was on Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. Our foundation at Friendship Baptist Church is not on a personality. It is not on the programs that we have here. It is not on the presentation. I don't like that word, but the presentation of our, of our music or our dramas or whatever it is. That is not our foundation. Why? Because what does a foundation do? If I were to build a foundation of a house, we know how big that house is going to be. We know the size of that house. We know the shape of that house. We know the strength of that house based on the foundation. I do not want a church that's foundation is based on programs or on a personality. I don't care who the personality is. I don't care how good of a preacher they are or how good of a teacher or organizer they are. It needs to be on the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is the only one that will last. I can't belabor that too much. That, that is so important for us. But once our foundation is realized, then each of us and us as a church, we start to build upon that. Those programs, those different things that we have. What materials are we building with as Christians? Verses 12 through 17, he, he uses the analogy of precious metals and precious stones, those things that are beautiful, those things that are lasting, versus wood, hay, and stubble, ordinary things, things that don't last, cheap 
easy to get. And what he is talking about here is these different comparisons. What is, what is the or are the gold uh, and the silver and the precious stones? What does that represent? Well, I think Solomon helps us out with that. Through the book of Proverbs, he says over and over, if you turn to Proverbs 2, you don't have to, but Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. So the word of God, if you listen to the word that I have here, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her, for her as for hid treasures. The next chapter, chapter he says in verse 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. The word of God is precious. May we open it. May we read it. May we apply it to our life that we are building on the foundation of Jesus Christ with the words from the Word of God. Building on that, on the teachings, the doctrines, the principles of God's Word. If you do that, it will last. It will produce fruit. Many other things. If you remember, call back to uh, the chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Corinthians, where, where the people that were relying on man's wisdom, that's the wood, hay, and stubble. It doesn't last. It doesn't hold up. We see the world around us. They're forcing us. They're, 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 you have to think just like we do. You have to do the things exactly like us. No, I don't. Because if I remember right, the thing that you said had to be this way back in 2005 is now different than what it was in 2010 and 2015 and 2020 and now in 2023. It wiggles and wobbles all over the place. I'm going to put mine on something that lasts because it will not disintegrate and it will stand up to fire. And he talks then about the end time, about how it will be saved by fire, how this will burn up. And as we build our life, when we build in the church, it needs to be based on the Bible because it will last. Verse 14, once again, we're told that there will be a reward for following God's way. I don't know what the reward will be, uh, if you want to do studies on that, but we know there will be a reward. I know there were crowns that we will have, and we will have the opportunity to lay them down at the Lord's feet. That what an opportunity that will be. Verse 15 shows us that there will be loss, though, as well. When we do build with wood, hand stubble, there will be loss. It will be tried by God. As Christians, we will be judged, not judged for our salvation, but judged by the works that we do, and these things will either last or they won't. And it says there's going to be some that they're going to burn up. And I'm going to, I'm going to guarantee that all of us are going to have some wood, hay, and stubble in our life. Because we're human. That's just natural. It's going to be there. But many of those are going to be these precious stones though, from the Word of God. 
And he talks here, it's a very sad note about it, but there is a promise here. There's a good note in this. This would be a good verse to underline. Teenagers, I would encourage you to underline this one. It's a beautiful verse on eternal security. Yes, the things that we have might not last because of what we built, what we built on, but the foundation that we have as Christians is sure. Meaning that we are eternally secure in our salvation. Let's read that verse again. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But, but, he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So the thought is here that the carnal Christian that has built their life on the world's wisdom, when tried by God, it will be gone. The, the wisdom that they built on will be gone. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You have no reward, but you are saved. So it's reassuring that our salvation is sure, but who wants to go into eternity that way? Let's not live that way. Let's not live as the carnal Christian. Paul finally ends the comparison by pointing to the fact that in all your picking of heroes and all your glorying of them, all things are just owned by Christ anyway. All things are owned by the Lord. So let us seek to mature. Let's not pick and choose who we want to hear, teach, preach, do this or that. You might never know that the, the very person that you maybe don't prefer is the one that's going to share something that you need. It's going to help you in your life at that time. We are to build for maturity. Building for maturity in our life because tough times are going to come. There might be persecution for your Christianity in your lifetime. And how you've built upon that foundation, will it stand? Will it have the strength to stand? Can we stand based on what we're doing here? Or the trials that maybe have already come? Can you stand? The children that we send out into the world to go into their schools and their teams, our college students that we send out to go into their universities and their, and their colleges, the things that we have built on that foundation, is it able to stand the scrutiny? I hope it is. I hope it is based on the Word of God and not wood, hay, and stubble. I hope it's not fluff, but solid. Being a carnal Christian is a Christian with no place to call home. Don't be a babe in Christ. Be someone that is growing. Strive to mature. And I don't care how old you are. You could be eight years old in this room right now, and you could strive to mature in your faith. And God will bless you. God will help you. You could be 90 years old in this room today, and God still wants to mature you in your life, in your Christian walk. Realize that we all have roles and that we are working toward a common goal and settle to build your life on God's Word. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these comparisons that uh, Paul has shared with us in this third chapter. And we ask you to open our hearts. Are we living as carnal Christians? What is our appetite? 
What's the diet that we, that we feast on? Is it maturing us or is it of this world? Help us to not be comparative to those around us, dear Heavenly Father, and help us to look to build our life on your word. I don't know where this finds the hearts of those here today, but dear Heavenly Father, please work in their life. Be with our time together now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand.